Hey, well, good morning, church. Thank you, band. My name's Don Raymond. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the assistant pastor here. And Pastor Travis, he is uh, maybe at this point on his way back uh, from his anniversary trip to Europe and time with family in Pittsburgh, which I hear is just as good as the Alps. Um, <laughs> it's not funny. It's not. <laughs> but, um, but today we're going to be continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments that we're calling the good life. And before we kind of launch in, let's do some, uh, a little bit of refresher on what we've been talking about. And that is, in the Old Testament, there are three different kinds of laws. That if you read the first five books of the Bible, you'll encounter ceremonial laws, which is how Israel was to go about the religious activities that they had, things like sacrifices and so on. There were uh, civil laws, and these were how Israel was to organize, arrange itself, and um, conduct uh, governance. And then there are moral laws, and these are laws um, about right and wrong, about what is good uh, for people, about what promotes flourishing among people. And while all of these laws have been fulfilled um, by Jesus, the moral law still has relevance for today. It's still binding on us today. And so as we step into this series on the good life, this fourth part of this series, the question that I want to like, keep asking ourselves is why the good life? Why the good life? Because if you were to go ask somebody for advice, hey, tell me uh, how to live the good life, you probably wouldn't say, can you give me like a list of 10 rules to follow? Um, but yet, God gives us these Ten Commandments because here's what we at MCC believe, that the good life is the life lived in right relationship with God. That if you want to live a good life, it's by not accumulating things, it's by not having an easygoing life, it's by living in communion with God. And God sets out these Ten Commandments and says, hey, here's, a, here's what's right, here's what's going to help you flourish, here's how you were meant to live, and He gives these to us. And he gets to decide what the good life looks like because after all, he made us and he made us in his image and he is our creator. So the Ten Commandments aren't simply a list of do's and don'ts. They're not simply rules given to us by a distant king. This isn't like a law that's passed in Washington, D.C. that we're not going to see the effects of until 2027. Um, This isn't anything like that. This This comes to us in the context of relationship. It's always relationship before rules with God. God's God, remember, remember the story that he led Israel out of Egypt on eagle's wings. It's the I am before the you shall. Relationship before rules. And the law, the law we said is like three things. It is like shackles. It, it binds and restrains from evil. It's like a magnifying glass. It shows us a bit of the character of God and, and what he's like. It And it's also like a mirror that when we look into it, when we look at these Ten Commandments, we discover that they're a lot more, they're about a lot more than simply our doing. They're about our being. They're about our heart. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, they're like a mirror and they show us that we're sinners, that we need help, that we need a Savior. And this is all grace, right? Because it's grace that starts the relationship that God started. And here's, it's grace to restrain evil. It's grace to say, hey, here's what I'm like. And it's grace to show you sin, to show you your own sin. And so 
Um, these commandments are given to us in the context of relationship. And with these things kind of all set as the, the scaffolding, if you will, we're going to look about, we're going to look at the fourth commandment, which is about keeping the Sabbath. I'm not going to quiz you on the last three. I'm just going to trust that you know them. Um, now, here's the deal about the fourth commandment, that as soon as I bring up keeping the Sabbath, everyone wants to be a legalist. Just tell me what to do and what not to do, right? Like, just tell me, can I do this? Can I not do this? And I get it. I went to a, my undergrad uh, was a place where they frowned upon playing Frisbee on the Sabbath. Thou shalt not play Frisbee on the Sabbath. <laughs> so... And then, so there's our propensity to be legalists. Just tell me what to do, tell me what not to do, and I'll decide if I want to do or not do that. And then there's the other side of it that's just like, ah, the Sabbath. Yeah, that sounds like a nice, that's, that's nice. We'll go to church. Uh, C.S. Lewis's wife once said, the fourth commandment has been recast. There's not many, very many quotes by C.S. Lewis's wife. Um, but maybe this is why. She said, the, the fourth commandment has been recast, thou shalt not enjoy life on Sunday. Um, which maybe C.S. Lewis was like, no more writing. I don't know. Um, let me do that. And, but, what I, but what I think is in God's word is, it's not about not having fun. I don't think it's about that at all. And I don't think it's about simply like a checklist that we just kind of walk through the boxes. Did I do this? Did I do this? So I want to look at this in a kind of a different way. I want to have a look at this with fresh eyes and ask us questions about, are we obeying the Sabbath? So let's stand. Um, though we said it together, we're going to read it again. Um, Exodus 20, um, verses 8 through 11. God's Word says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I just thank you that your word is true and that your word is relevant for our lives. That though this book was written thousands of years ago, it still speak. you're still speaking through your word, revealing yourself to us, Lord. Pray that you would um, give us ears to hear, hearts to apply. Would your spirit convict us and encourage us um, with your word? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as we like dive into this passage, let's do a little bit of historical background, which um, is necessary if we want to kind of understand this. In this idea of Sabbath, that is of, of taking one day out of the week and resting, at this point in Israel's um, life would not have been new, right? Because Israel had this great oral tradition. They would have passed on the stories of creation, how God made the world in six days. And on the se- seventh day, he rested after he declared it, it was good. And then 
Even more recently in Israel's history, they were out in the wilderness. If you are familiar with the story, they, they were just rescued out of Egypt miraculously. God parted the Red Sea. Israel um, uh, walks through it as if on dry land. And uh, they're in the wilderness, and then they're like, you know what, we're getting kind of hungry. And uh, so they start complaining um, in that, that God would provide, oh, that we would have died in Egypt and uh, just stayed in Egypt, and God provides for them. And he provides for them manna, this bread from heaven. Manna literally means, what is it? Uh, so that's what they called it. What is it? I don't know. Um, so God provided this manna from heaven, this bread from heaven, and he says this in Exodus 16, verses 4 and 5. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law. You hear that? Walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God provides manna from heaven every single day, and on the sixth day, he gathers enough for two days. So this kind of built in to Israel's rhythm already. So this law that we get in the Ten Commandments, it's, it's codifying what has already started to happen. It's bringing it into formal recognition. This leads us to our first point, if you're a note taker, um, that to obey the Sabbath, um, we need to obey it with our rhythms, with our life rhythms. And this is where the Sabbath principle, this, this commandment begins to like push in on our lives because we don't really like people to tell us what to do, right? Like that's pretty normal. We don't like it. And the Sabbath here starts to invade our space because here's, I don't know if you feel this, but we're all busy, right? Like we're all busy. We have things to do, work. And one author, he kind of like highlights our busyness by just describing how frantic everyone is. So the sixth grader wakes up at 5 a.m., heads off to swim practice, comes home, goes to school, after school, they go to piano lessons, come home, do homework till nine o'clock. It's, the, it's like a college student, right? Drinking Red Bull, taking honors classes, volunteering at the soup kitchen, works out twice a day, trying to have an active social life so he's not alone. Young married couples, maybe with no kids, They just go, go, go. They work 70, 80 hours a week, try to fill up their schedule. And they say, maybe, maybe we'll slow down after we have kids. To which all the moms go, ha ha. Uh, (laughs) It's the story of the the new mom who who used to have all this time for herself and, and, you know, hanging out with her friends, pouring over the scriptures in the morning and then, and then feeling like now she just wakes up at 2 a.m. exhausted and tired. It's the story of the businessman. Goes in and out to work every day, works long hours. It's stressing him out. It's not good for his heart. His doctor is telling him to slow down, but he just can't. And I think it's kind of the story of us, right? We fill our schedules with things, and that's not bad. All of this stuff is good. But sometimes... We don't know how to slow down. We're so busy. I was reading in the Harvard Business Review, you know, leisure used to be the sign of wealth and honor in a society. Like the fact that you could go play around the golf. Um, I'm not going to work today. I'm going to sit by the pool uh, 
or what have you, leisure used to be the sign of wealth. But now it's flipped. Busyness is the sign of wealth, sign of wealth and honor. Ask someone how they're doing. What do they say? Busy, right? That's kind of where we are. And so we kind of buy the lie of our culture. You need to go. You need to go. You need to perform. You need to perform. But what does the Lord say here? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Listen, you aren't a machine. You were made to work. Everyone in here was made to work, whether that's school, whether that's the work that you've been given as a mom, whether that's the work you've been given at work. You were made to work, but you were also made to rest from your work, to put it down. And God has designed us this way. This is actually rooted in creation itself because he says in verse 11, in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh. And just as God declared his creation good and rest, so we, as his people, declare he is good and rest from our work. So here we see this rhythm, this rhythm of working hard six days, setting aside a day to rest. And what this means for some of us in this room who have a hard time putting it down, is there any, some of us do that, right? We have a hard time. We check email whenever we can. We it's Sunday, we're like, ah, I really got this project I need to, to get a jump start on. And we just have a hard time putting work down. This is, a, this is an invitation. This isn't like, thou shalt not enjoy life on Sunday. This is an invitation to rest. You aren't made to endlessly work. You are made to work six days and to take a break, to rest from your work. You are made to put it down. And the invitation is to come to the Sabbath And remember that God will provide. That just as he provided manna in the wilderness for his people, he will provide for us now to work hard and then rest from our work. For some of us in this room, we might be procrastinators. And the invitation of this commandment is to not procrastinate. If you're a parent, you may have seen this in kids because when I was a teenager and uh, I used to do this thing where, you know, it's the Sabbath, I'm not going to work. And my dad would say, oh... You know, the lawn is looking pretty high right now. I would say, you know what, it's Sunday. And, uh, (laughs) which didn't really go over well. Um, And he would remind me that I had six other days during the week, six other days to get that done. The invitation kind of built in is that the Lord honors work. Work is a good thing. And he invites us to work and work hard and then rest take a break from our work. So we work, we take a break. As God declares creation good and rested, we declare he is good and rest. So that leads us to our next point, which that means to obey the Sabbath means that we gather for worship. We gather for worship. So every week throughout the history of the church, the Lord, the, they've gathered on the Lord's Day for worship. This goes all the way back to the book of Acts. I was going to preach another sermon on Acts, but um, wasn't sure if y'all wanted that. Um, but they gathered as a church to hear the word of God. One writer I was reading named Al Mohler said the church had this like passion to gather together. If they can only make it to the Lord's day so I can gather with God's people and hear God's word preach and take communion, 
If I can only make it to that. They had such passion. Recently, Pew Research published a, an article that said 65% of people claiming to be Christians attended church once a month. Now, that's not really awesome at all. And the number one reason for their lack of church attendance was what? Busy. Wasn't simply that they wanted to sleep in. It was because they were too busy. And I think as a church, we're doing a little bit better than uh, once a month. Praise God. Um, but, and I get it. Like The culture we live in doesn't really respect a day of rest. It kind of forces us into this, tries to force us into this habit of go, go, go all the time. But let's not forget that God called his people to Sabbath in the Old Testament because it highlighted that they were his special people. The Israelites were God's special people, and we gather today because we are God's people. He called us to himself. So we gather each week on the Sunday because it commemorates the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we don't gather on Saturday anymore. And here's the deal, friends. Like our worship gathering, it's not done on its own. We gather to worship because we believe that our worship gathering, it looks forward to a day when we will gather with God forever. Our worship gathering looks forward to when we will worship God forever. So our gathering here forms and shapes our desires. You may not know it, but God uses this environment, the preaching of his word, the singing of songs to build us up, to encourage us in our faith, to mold us and shape us. It's about falling more and more in love with the God who carries us on eagle's wings out of bondage and sin. This means that, so we set aside a day of rest, that we gather to worship with God's people, but when we come in here, we come with a sense of expectation and eagerness to meet with God, to fellowship with his people. That we, that we prepare our hearts, not just Sunday morning when we frantically run around the house, get the kids dressed, I don't really care what they wear, just put them in the car. Um, this means that we start preparing our hearts on Saturday to, to go and worship. This means when we come into church, we come in with a sense of anticipation. We get to meet with God and hear from his word. This means we set aside our preferences, right? Like, can you believe Robinson Cornerstone today? Uh, which is a great song. Um, but it means we set aside our preferences. And we, we remember that this gathering is about God, not about us. I was, um, when Nicole and I lived in Amsterdam, we, we were looking for churches at the time. And I remember in one, we, were, we had visited like four churches, um, which there's not that many. That's like how many there are there. Um, but we would visit, and I was in seminary at the time, and so here's the deal. Seminary is fantastic, but it also makes you think critically about everything. So I would go to church, and I would be like, Nicole would be like, how was, what'd you think? I'm like, oh, you know, the worship was a little long. The songs were real gushy-feely, and the sermon, like, that was like a three-for-one deal. Like, holy cow. And I don't even know how theologically, how he meshed these things together. And uh, we would go to another church and check it out, and then I was just like... What'd you think of that? And I was like, oh, it's okay. The sermon was really good, but oh, the worship was really touchy-feely and just uncomfortable. And uh, so finally, one Sunday, she, like she was asking me my, you know, 
I'm sure she wanted my long evaluation and theological assessment of a church gathering. <laughs> but um, finally she was like, can we just go to church? Like, can you just go to church? And, <laughs> and but there was, there was wisdom in that, right? Because with all of my like preferences, my, my, now listen, it's fine to like want things to be theologically correct and I'm not going to downplay that at all. But, but what I will say is like, it was getting in the way of me meeting with God, right? And experiencing fellowship with his people. And that's what, so when we gather together, it's not about my preferences. It's about, it's about magnifying God. It's about receiving from God. And if I only care about myself, I'm not going to be able to receive from him. And to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy, means that I set aside this day and then I go in with his eagerness to gather with God's people and to get to worship and sing praises and be built up in my faith. So I'm going to ask, how are we doing with honoring the Sabbath? What, what attitude do we have when we walk into this room? What, what priority does this gathering have in your life? What message about it is being conveyed to your kids? Because is this, like, is this just like a nice add-on if it fits? Or is this like, you know, God is more important than anything to us. And we're going we're gonna to prepare our hearts for eternity with him by entering into praise with God's people and to hear God's word. Because what we do with our lives is, is a sermon to our kids. What is it saying? As God declared his creation good and rested, so we declare he is good and rest. He saved us and we are his. Sabbath is about evaluating our rhythms. It's about setting aside that day, one day different out of the week. It's about worshiping our God. And finally, Sabbath means resting in Christ. As we wrap up this morning, it's important for us to remember that Jesus, Jesus is the interpretive key to the Old Testament. When we, when we look at Jesus, we look through New Covenant eyes at this Old Testament story, we see that he was the one that obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly, that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Looking at this commandment, we realize that this commandment, this setting aside of time on the Sabbath day in Israel's history actually looks forward to a day when Jesus would come and we could totally rest in Christ and find our rest in him. Hebrews reads this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. True rest is found in resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The strife is over. The strife is over. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to fake it anymore. You can come to God as we are and say, God, I'm worn out. I'm tired. I can't do this. Would you save me? We rest in what he has done. And some of us, we have a hard time with this and we, we feel that God, that God just couldn't love us because he sees the struggle with our sin and how could he love me for this? And that we look at Jesus and he says, come to me, you weary and heavy laden. Let me give you rest. 
Christian, are you resting in Jesus as your salvation? In the middle of life circumstances, when things are hard, when, when um, there's lots of change and transition, when you're unsure about the mission trip that you're about to go on, can you rest in Jesus knowing that God is in perfect control and that I rest in Him and in His finished work? And if you're not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're, and you're thinking that uh, God, you're like on this treadmill of good works, trying to make the scales tip. Good works outweighs the bad. And you know deep down that like, it's not really working for you, that your heart is maybe a little bit more corrupt. God's invitation is to get off the treadmill, to realize that Jesus has run for you. The invitation is to rest in Christ. And here's the deal, church. The reason why we take the fourth commandment seriously, the reason why we think that this is relevant to our lives is because we believe that we have found real rest in Jesus. That we can lay aside our works, trust in His work. And the regular setting aside of time and the regular setting aside of a day prepares our hearts for when we will experience the future rest that He promised and rest from our labor. Christ has done all the laboring for us. We hear the call of Jesus to come to Him. And so weary we run to Him. And weary we run to Him week in and week out. And we ask, Lord, would you use this restful day to remind me that I have rest in You? And as I prepare my heart for eternity, would you use Your Word to shape me? God declared His creation good and He rested. So we declare... He is good, and we rest. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.